Good morning. All right, I'd like to thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm very pleased to be able to give um, Brian and Maritza a chance to be away and to be celebrating their first anniversary. It is indeed a blessing to have them both here. And I just thank you for this church and for the opportunity you give me to, to share God's word with you this morning. Um, the, the subject for today is something that I think is um, somewhat of a foundation for living in what we call the family of God or the church of Jesus Christ. And the topic today is encouragement. And our text is going to be from Philippians chapter 2, the first four verses. But before I get to that, I'd like to give you a little bit of background of the setting of this letter. We read in chapter 1 of Philippians that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi while he's imprisoned. It's very likely his first imprisonment when he was in Rome. Um, he spends some time um, praising the work of the Philippians, and he thanks um, the Lord for his, Paul's relationship to them. He also encourages them to the point of our sermon uh, today a little bit in the fact that um, his imprisonment is not in vain. That indeed the gospel is being advanced in the circumstances that God has placed him in. So he, he spends some time initially praising the Philippians, but he does also go into chapter 2 with a bit of an exhortation. And that's what we're going to be um, settling on today. And so if you turn to Philippians chapter 2, we'll be reading the first four verses. And they read, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but to the interests of others. This is indeed the internal word of God. May it bless all who hear it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to um, just learn from your spirit. We pray for wisdom that only comes through you, Lord, that you guide us to the true meaning of your scriptures, that you, in fact, do lift us up and encourage us, Lord, to serve you better in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. Father God, we pray that all of this worship service is glorifying and honoring to you, and we just thank you for the forgiveness of your son and for the fact that we can indeed come into your presence through your word. Heavenly Father, bless the rest of our morning today, and it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So our passage today mentions something about encouragement. It calls it the encouragement in Christ. And the way Paul states this, he's kind of stating it that it's a given. He's not saying if there's any, you know, when he says if there's any encouragement in Christ, it's not saying, well, there may, there may not be. He's assuming that there is encouragement in Christ. So, but what we need to figure out is what exactly is this thing called the encouragement in Christ? And how do we encourage others? And we will be looking at both of these things. 
But first, before we look at the what and the how, we need to look at why. Why do we even bother with encouraging others? So, so the three points we're going to be looking at is the what of encouragement, or the why of encouragement, excuse me, the what of encouragement, and the how of biblical encouragement. So first, if you look at today's passage, it doesn't really seem to directly command us to encourage anybody. But that's not to saying that we are not elsewhere commanded to encourage. In fact, over in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 we read, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact as you are doing. So what is this referring to? Why is that therefore there? Just prior to this, in verses 9 and 10, we read, For God has not destined us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. So this states that the basis of our encouragement is our position in Christ. We can be encouraged in all of life because we know we have a Savior who will die for us, and in fact did. There's a similar admonition in Hebrews. In verse three, I mean chapter three, verse 13 of Hebrews, we read, "But exhort, or another way to say it, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today." that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The reason we can do this is given in the next verse, in 3.14, that we've come to share in Christ. That's why we can encourage. So we see here that we are commanded to encourage, to help others, to avoid sin. But the ultimate reason for this command is a little beyond this and also very, very important. Let's look at back what Paul says concerning the encouragement of Christ. The underlying reason for this is given back in Philippians. Looking at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul says it would complete his joy. But is that the motivation to do anything? So that some person would be joyful. Is that why we do anything? This is maybe a motivation but is it the ultimate motivation? Why should we want to complete someone's joy? Well, we all have people in, the life, in our lives we like to please. It could be our parents. It could be a pastor. It could be a good friend. Or in the case of the Philippians, it could be a mentor in Christ. So if we were to behave in a manner to complete their joy, what does that do for us? Are we not also made joyful? Okay, so there's the, the motivation. We are to encourage people, so we are to be made joyful. Does that sound right? Probably, maybe not. I think there's a more universal meaning to what Paul is saying when he says, complete my joy. And the best way to get a look at this is to look back at the first question of the Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? John Piper points out in Desiring God that when we talk about the chief end of man, he uses the singular. 
it is a chief end. And it says these are to, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is one thing, not two things. So if we are seeking to glorify God in all we do, our joy and that of others will be made complete. Such as Paul. So if we see this, to see this connection farther, we'll continue reading and looking in um, Philippians down to verse 11. Immediately following this in verses 5 through 9 should be some a passage that's becoming very familiar to us. It's the Kenosis hymn or the Kenosis creed that we've been reading each week for the last several weeks as a um, confession of faith. And then in the end of that, in verse 10 and 11, we get a reason. So that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to God, to the glory of God the Father. So we get in verses 10 and 11, the reason for all that Paul is talking about earlier that so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So we're starting to see the ultimate reason for living in the church in an encouraging way is to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on Philippians, states, It is to the glory of God the Father to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, for it is his will that all men should honor the Son as they honor the Father. We can look at John 5.23, and this states that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So Matthew Henry continues, Here we see such motives of self-denying love as nothing else can supply. Do we thus love and obey the Son of God and serve him? So the ultimate why concerning encouragement is related to the fact that it brings glory to God, all three persons of the Trinity. This is what complete Paul's joy is all about, bringing honor to God. So we know the why. We are to encourage others to be honoring to God. But now what is this we are supposed to do? What is encouragement? Why? So what does this thing exactly do? We inherently know that to encouraging, be encouraging is a good thing. But it, we often see it as just a way to serve other people. In many ways, put it this way, how many of us have not ever been told to be nice? Sometimes some of you may have more southern roots, and what's the phrase? Be sweet. Have you ever thought to ask your mother or your grandmother or your great-aunt Gertrude, why do I need to be nice? Probably not. It's just something you do in polite society, right? Well, to our, even more to our topic at hand, is being encouraging just another way of being nice? Is that all we're trying to be? Let's think about a t-ball game. 
you have a, what, a five, six-year-old boy who's standing up there at a t-ball plate for the first time, and what do you tell him? Come on, Billy, you can do it. Hit that ball all the way back to the pitcher, and if you don't, we'll still give you a prize. It's okay. Is that encouragement? To some extent, it probably is. Let's look at the English word encourage, which has in its root courage. So it basically means to fill someone with courage. Okay, well, that's clear. What's courage? We can pull up the dictionary definition of courage, and it says the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc., without fear. It's bravery. Encouragement is defined as the act of giving someone support, confidence, or hope, such as the phrase, thank you for your support and encouragement. So let's take this to the next step, and now our t-baller has gotten a little older and he's moving up to kids' pitch baseball. So now you start trying to help old Billy stand there, and you want this eight, nine-year-old boy to stand up next to a plate why another eight or nine-year-old boy throws a baseball at him. So now, is that encouraging? Well, it is sta standing firm in the presence of danger. Does it relate to spiritual encouragement? It's probably starting to get a little closer. It's been stated that encourage is a heart word. It touches on how we can strengthen one's heart. So what does this mean? Well, in Psalm 27, 14, it says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Indeed, we understand that to encourage is, in a sense, to help someone be courageous and to wait for the Lord. Let's take a look at the biblical definition of encouragement. It's more than just getting someone to simply be willing to do something scary or to stand strong during hard times. We look back at our passage in starting in, chapter, in verse 2. When looking at what encouragement looks like, Paul writes, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. So encouragement in Christ includes affection, sympathy, no selfish ambition, and it's characterized by unity. However, there needs to be something to base this spiritual courage on. And this is where it gets related to the heart. So if encouragement is a heart word, that we are to lift the spirits of others, it starts with our own hearts, and it's all about our own motivation. The biblical view of encouragement is more than telling someone, you got this. It includes being reminded of our position in Christ, as we saw in the First Thessalonians verse, of the ways God has worked in our lives in the past. 
I did a Google search of a phrase, and I lost count, not a Google search, a Bible app search of the phrase, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I lost count at about 50 of how many times that is used throughout the scriptures. Way more than that. So what is God's purpose of continually reminding the Israelites of this one historic act? It's so that they can be encouraged to trust God in the future. And finally, biblical encouragement helps others to avoid sin and grow in Christ-likeness, as we saw in the Hebrews verse. So how can we move someone to harder tasks? How can we help people not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, as it says in Hebrews 3.13? How can people be willing to take chances for Christ? One thing we can help them with is to remind them of past victories. The main thing we can do is point them back to Christ. We read in verse 2 of Philippians' passage, be of the same mind. What does this mean? Are we to forgo the truth to make a person we are speaking to feel better? No, because there's a mind that's being referred to here, and it's a mind that leads to unity in Christ, which is we are to be of the mind of Christ. If we are speaking to someone who is obviously mistaken about Christ, the encouraging thing to do is to correct. To be encouraging is to move someone towards Christ. But how do we correct or encourage? In humility with no self-interest. So this is probably easier said than done. So how do we do it? First and foremost, we need to look at the perfect encourager. We see this if we look to the Greek translation of the word encourager, parakletos, which is translated to encourage or to come alongside, and it's also the same word used for comforter of the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit's ministry involve? Well, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us, he provides the strength and knowledge we do not have. He also reminds us of where we have come from. Most of all, he changes hearts. The Holy Spirit's activity is to bring us more and more into Christ's likeness. So as we seek to encourage others, we should be doing the same thing. But how do we do it? The Bible does indeed give us an example of someone who was known to be an encourager. We can turn over to Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. And here we are introduced to a Levite from Cyprus whose name's Joseph. And he sold a piece of property and gave all the money to the church. And the apostles, though, they gave this guy a nickname. So you don't see him referred to in scriptures as Joseph. He's referred to as Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. You ever wonder why the, bar, why the apostles did not nickname him Mr. Generous? They called him the son of encouragement. The reason I think is that they've known Barnabas for a while, and this name was tagged to him based on the totality of his personality. So to better understand who Barnabas was, let's look briefly at some of the events that are recorded in Scripture. 
First, in Acts 9.27, we see Barnabas helping Paul to be accepted by the apostles. We read starting in verse 26, And when he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. So Barnabas came alongside Paul at the risk of his personal reputation to introduce him to the church in Jerusalem. And why did he do that? He did that to further the advance of the kingdom of Christ. Barnabas was also willing to work with Paul in whatever capacity was needed. In Acts 11 through 20 through 26, the apostles sent Barnabas to Antioch to follow up on the teachings of some believers from Cyprus and Cyrene concerning Christ. One reason Barnabas was probably sent, if you recall, he was from Cyprus. So he may know these guys. What he found when he got there, oh, the other important reason, probably the more important reason, was that they recognized Barnabas as a good man filled with the Spirit. So when Barnabas arrived, he found a great many had been added to the Lord. So he could have just relished in that. But Barnabas saw his limitations, and it says in the next verse, he went to find Paul. Barnabas was a faithful companion to Paul during the first missionary journey. During many accounts that we see in Acts 13 through 15, we hear much about the places they went together and receive extensive records of Paul's preaching. We are told that they both spoke boldly of Christ, but never what Barnabas actually said. Barnabas was seeking to extend Christ's kingdom, and he was not worried about the glory coming to himself. The character of his relationship with Paul was even recognized by the pagans. Over in Acts 14, 11, and 12, they called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because Paul was the chief speaker. But even though Paul, Barnabas put himself in a lesser role to Paul, he was also willing to do what he thought was right. The Bible tells us much of this relationship, even something that may not be quite so great or maybe even bad. In Acts 15, 36 through 41, we read of a disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. And it ended up being a split overtaking Mark, Barnabas's cousin, back on the next journey. Paul did not trust Mark because he had already deserted him once on the previous journey. Barnabas still saw potential in Mark. He wanted to encourage him. So he gave he wanted to give him another chance. So he split from Paul and took Mark back to Cyprus. May not have been Barnabas' signing hour because basically what he did was take Mark and go home. But the Lord did use this to strengthen his church. Barnabas' mentoring of Paul evidently had very good results. In Colossians 4.10 we read, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, 
concerning whom you have received instruction, if you come comes to you, welcome him. In the next verse, Paul includes Mark in a list of fellow workers for the gospel. So Barnabas was indeed successful with his mentoring of Mark. So how does this apply to us? We can see that Barnabas was indeed an encourager, but how does that help us to be an encourager? If we look back at Philippians 2.4 for our verse today, we see that encouragers do not look to their own interests. Another aspect of encouragement that must be remembered and this may come easier to some people than others, is to truly rejoice in the accomplishments of others. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 states, If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This sounds easy, but it can be challenging as well. There are some of us, me included, who may struggle with small talk and trying to extend a conversation. We are constantly trying to think of what we can say next to keep a conversation going. There's a tendency, and not necessarily a good one, is to hear a person talking about something that they recently accomplished. Then your mind automatically starts going and says, oh wow, this is cool. I did something like this about three weeks ago. I did a little bit more than he did. And so as soon as he shuts up, I can let him know what I did. So there's encouragement. But what does this do? Okay, first, we started off truly putting others first. We were seeking to engage in a conversation. It's all a good thing. Emphasis quickly shifted by putting myself first. According to Philippians 2, 3, and 4, we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition. This includes encouraging others. There is a sense that when we encourage others, our sinfulness can get in the way, and that can even make what appears to be a loving act to be actually self-serving. But how do we stop this? How can we help this? Have you heard the statement, pray without ceasing? This does not mean that we are on our knees praying 24-7. Rather, we can do things like offering a quick prayer before a conversation starts, that we truly listen with a heart towards encouragement of others. We can also seek to be more aware of our thoughts while listening and silent repent when we know our thoughts are drifting off to self-glorification. We should also be continually in prayer for the most encouraging words we can offer. While one goal will be to rejoice in the accomplishments of others, this is not the main goal of encouragement. Remember, we are seeking to glorify Christ by building up his church. We stated earlier, God constantly encouraged the Israelites by reminding them that he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. We should be ready to remind others how God has blessed them. This includes reminding them of their salvation in Christ. This is, the, is important for our friends, but critical for our families. It doesn't matter what age children are, they always need encouragement. I had a 
conversation recently with one of my grown sons, and he was fretting over his finances a bit. So I was praying during the conversation, and the Lord did bring to mind something I should say, which is not overly impressive. I reminded him of how the Lord had shown himself faithful to the various circumstances over the last year or two, including how he had found his job, how he was able to find a good place to live, and how he had friends in his new city. may not sound like much, but I think it helped, just to be reminded that God is at work in his life in the little things. Another thing that I have found that can be great comfort is to remind others that we have not chosen to be Christians, that God has chosen us and promises to never forsake us or to leave us. This has been a great comfort to those who've had loved ones who are struggling with the gospel and seem to be abandoning the faith. To let their parents or their loved ones know that they are in God's hand can be extremely encouraging. Finally, even though it's not easy and must be done with wisdom, we must be willing to correct others when we see them being deceived by sin and wandering from the path of righteousness. To gain encouragement in Christ is to be encouragement to others. We must take on the character of Christ. This is not something we can do alone. The perfect encourager, the Holy Spirit, is the only one who can make this possible. Remember, encouraging is a, encouragement is a heart word, and only the Holy Spirit can change our sinful hearts. We must be continually in prayer for the Holy Spirit to cleanse our sinful motivation and to give us truly encouraging words to speak. This will be difficult and will fail occasionally. It is God's good pleasure that our growth in Christ-likeness does not happen immediately. Philippians 2.12 says we are to work out our salvation. But in the very next verse, 2.13, says, However, it is God who is at work in us. This means that we continue to seek the Lord's guidance and His work, and his, through His word and through prayer, trust in Him for the results, we seek to follow his leading, and when we fail, we repent. So in conclusion, we see that Barnabas was a good example of how to encourage others, yet Barnabas did not encourage perfectly, and neither will we. But in the long run, Christ will continue to shape us into his image, and his kingdom will be advanced if we look to Christ as our example for placing others before ourselves even when it may not be comfortable for us to do that. To learn how to do this, we have looked at three things. First, the motivation. For us to encourage others is to advance Christ's kingdom and therefore glorify God, and as a result, our joy, as well as that of those around us, will be completed. Secondly, we looked at what biblical encouragement is. It's much more than giving someone the courage to do something scary. Biblical encouragement involves coming alongside who God has placed in our lives to remind them of our position in Christ, as well as how God has richly blessed them in the past. This, coupled with the knowledge that God never changes, will provide motivation to move forward in the Christian life. 
we are also given the task to be fellow travelers on this path of righteousness. Therefore, we need to be willing to prayerfully admonish those close to us when they're being taken in by the deceitfulness of sin. Before we do this, we must be in prayer for wisdom and examination of our own hearts concerning our motivations. We must fully rely on the perfect encourager, the Holy Spirit. We concluded with a discussion of how we can do this. First, if you do not have confidence in the finished work of Christ in your own life, you will be ill-equipped to encourage others. Therefore, the first thing will be to prayerfully ask the Lord to keep you ever ever mindful of the good things he has done for you. And if you have never come to Christ for forgiveness, prayerfully seek that forgiveness and restoration that is possible only through Jesus Christ. If we are confident in our position in Christ, we can then rely on this to be equipped to remind others of all God has done in their lives and to guide them towards Christ's likeness. We can be an encouragement to that person by prayerfully entering to a discussion, a phone call, an email, even a text message by asking God to direct your thoughts during that interaction on how you can minister to that person whose faith may be wavering. Anytime you feel yourself moving towards self-glorification, silently repent and ask the Holy Spirit to provide you with encouraging words. Recall that encouraging words are those that move a person you are interacting with towards Christ-likeness. Remind yourselves and your friends of the blessings God has provided in the past, especially always being mindful and remind others what a great gift salvation is. And if we are indeed in Christ, nothing can defeat us. If we do this, the church will be built up and Christ will be glorified. This will ultimately help us complete both our joy and that of those around us, and indeed, that of the Apostle Paul. Never forget, our chief end is to glorify God in all we do, which will be the source of our joy forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the the message from your scriptures, for the... um, the examples in Barnabas on how to live in the church and to be an encouragement to others. We thank you for the gift of Christ and for, through his sacrifice, to be come into a relationship with you. And for our day-to-day, Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your spirit in our hearts to guide us and to direct us to understand your word and to be a blessing to your church, Lord. I thank you for this church. I pray that each and every person sitting here and who couldn't be with us today is indeed blessed by your word. Have your spirit put a special blessing around each family, Lord. And we just thank you and desire to serve you always. And it's in your son's most holy name we pray. Amen.